1: Folks, welcome into Aunt Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at the Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. We get to talk about a mildly warm Cubs team, winners of three of their last five. Eh, eh. That's a that's a six hundred winning percentage. You know, if you do the math on that, and let me tell you, if you if you did that for a whole season, that's that's a good team. Uh No, I mean, I kid. It is it is a bit of a natural rebalancing of what was probably, you know, a, a poorly performed and bad bounce stretch that the Cubs were having for a while there. Um, and it is not necessarily indicative of some dramatic turnaround, both in fact or in narrative. But it was nice to see the Cubs win a couple uh the first games of the series against the Mets. We're recording this on Thursday morning. So the Cubs have already taken the series as we sit here today, but uh, we'll have the finale this evening um, and we'll talk about that game in a moment because it's got uh, kind of a cool component to it as well. But as for these first two games of the series, I just want to note, the Cubs technically were chasing the Mets in the wild card standings. If you were a huge dork and looking at it as though the late may standings mattered you might note that the cubs made up some significant ground on the mets there in those two games and now just a couple games back in the wild card four and a half in the central still still in it as david ross noted because of thank goodness for the crappy teams uh the crappy other teams in the division and uh, i just wanted to say may 25th cubs still in the race I got, I got a I got a note from a valued listener who was like Brett, you said you were going to check it. You were going to see how far you could go into the season, still noting at the top that the Cubs were still in the race, and I'd forgotten to do that. So, boom, there you go, uh, May twenty fifth, Cubs still in the race.
2: Uh, I guess you take it. Uh, I was I was just listening to some sports radio and and the White Sox talk is that they're still in it. So, I mean, come on, if the White Sox are still in it, the Cubs are still in it. I don't think we can after the start. Well, the yeah. The AL Central is even crappier than the NL yeah, Central. Yeah. So, I do like that Twins team, but yes, that that's a the, man. The Centrals are are not very good. <laughs> uh, just when you think, oh look, the Cardinals are figuring things out, they they lose a, a couple games to the Reds. Uh, we'll see what the well, can. Yeah, a
1: funny oddity.
2: Speaking of the divisions
1: and looking at them that way, I noticed it was a codify – baseball tweet that uh this was maybe two days ago so i don't know if it still holds true but there were only two divisions in baseball that collectively had a positive run differential and it was the al east of course where literally every single team has a positive run differential and a winning record and the only other division was the nl central which i thought was kind
2: of hilarious so no god-awful team to really bring that run differential down then i
1: guess yeah well, and then you have the Cubs are skewing it by virtue of their, you know, solidly positive I think run differential against a record. the Cardinals are positive now. The Cardinals are positive, too. Yeah. The Pirates might be – no, the Brewers were negative as of – I got to check. They might have about flipped that last night. But the Brewers – see, this is why run differential <laughs> just gets me pissed off. For all, and I know people, you know, people rightly – uh, dump on it because you got a game like the other night where the Rays who are unquestionably the best team in baseball lose 20 to one to the Blue Jays because they they were losing. So they threw out a couple of position guys and it got skewed. And no, I I get it. Early season run differential is not a useful tool, but and I won't get into this, but the underlying metrics also say the Cubs should be it's totally useless, are, anyway. except the Cubs so always can, cite it
3: as a reason for how things yes. are going to turn it's every year. <laughs> <No>. And then <that laughs> the best example or well, comp right now is, like, when the Bears are, like, 5-8-1 between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and they show the graphic during the noon game of, like, in the hunt – and the Bears are like the last of nine teams. <laughs> I know others have made that joke in that the past. Is what, I forget, but that's kind of that weird. is what it I should say. Like at the, yeah. big cat uh, in the hunt. You know, I think that's one of his go-to specials. But that's where the Cubs are right now. You barely in the hunt on the like the on the fifth best. <laughs> they, you know they're still uh, on the graphic you know, Fox NFC game that weekend. They're like just in the hunt. You know next to the Lions. Um, Something like that.
1: (laughs) Well, let's actually, let's go with that a little bit because uh, Jed Hoyer was at, so the Cubs returned to Wrigley field this week after that road trip. And I saw that Jed Hoyer spoke with the media and um, I thought we could at least touch upon some of his comments about this topic where he, you know, it's look, I get it. I, I am, I'm, Mildly defensive of the Cubs too, just as a fan. So it's sort of you're you, you're saying sort of both things at once, which is that hey, you know, we're not we're not winning, we're not getting those big hits and those big moments that matter. But also, you know, it's that's that's the thing is we're playing really well. It's just you know, the matter it matters when you get your hits. And I, I thought it was I w- I would wonder what the temperature is behind the scenes there for talking about this this very topic where you know you're two months into the season and beyond run differential like there are there are considerable underlying measures of a team's true talent that say yeah this is like a playoff quality team and yet the record is what it is and the deep struggles in the highest leverage moments when it matters most I mean they're, it's pronounced it's really really pronounced and so I just would wonder how they talk about it behind closed doors of like you know damn it we're better than this or oh you know those numbers are just fluky you, you know like I, I just wonder about that
2: I think it's it's kind of you know it depends how, how granular you're going to go right with with Jameson Tyon it's 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 we got him fix some things we got to figure out what's wrong here we can't just rely on the fact that he probably should have better numbers overall than he does right there there are actual issues and and there it's it sounds like it's pitch uh pitch usage that they're they're going to change up and And we'll see how he looks on Saturday. Uh, But then if you kind of just zoom out and look at everything, I think David Ross kind of touched on this in pregame yesterday and just said like some of the – I think some of the offensive stuff, the runners in scoring position, they're confident that – they have the right group and, and that they have a group of guys that will knock in runs and knock in those those runners on base. Uh, and, and some of this stuff uh, goes up and down over the course of the year. And I I mostly agree with that. My my whole thing has been I just don't know how good the offense is overall. Will the offense stay at the level that it's been at, which is like a one twelve way to runs created plus. Right. Uh, so I, I just don't know I I, I want to see Cody Bellinger come back and be healthy and look like the same player he was or at least close to that player in April you know you, you see him slump and you're like oh man was that was that April a Mirage because uh, I mean, he's a big part of it all uh, but yeah I, I think you can you can I, I think it's kind of you have to look at it both ways I, I think in the bullpen I think they clearly like uh, their actions, speak pretty loudly right they're making as many changes as they can they're changing roles in the minor leagues they're getting prepared to you know hopefully call up younger arms a guy like Cody Hoyer will likely be up here uh some point relatively soon uh and and that's potentially an an impactful arm to the bullpen so that they're not going to sit on their hands and really they haven't sat on their hands with the offense either calling up Mervis and Morrell and obviously uh Mervis hasn't had the results. he's looked so much better at the plate uh overall the last week, I'd say and then morell, I mean, what can you say it's it's hard to you know throw much more praise uh, on a player than you can with the the way morell's uh played and and what we've talked about. He's just I mean it's kind of mind blowing what he's done uh if he would have homered yesterday that would have been the the way the wind was blowing i didn't think anybody was but apparently a couple guys were able to knock it out that i think that was the first time in a while where i really realized how much that video board changes everything because
1: i i thought exactly the same yeah
2: because uh ball should have been long gone but it was just to the you know just to the left of the video board and it just got killed and, and blown down and nico's uh got out pretty easily. And same with the Francisco Alvarez.
3: Yeah. I think Jed Hoyer put it this way the other day of like, it's not early anymore or it's not early forever. And, you know, in terms of a temperature check, like if this is not like, um, you know, uh, some sort of like Epic meltdown and people are, you know, trying to save their jobs, but like, they are very much aware that this next month is extremely important, um, that they have to start banking some wins and that, you know, by the time they get to London, they can't be talking about, well, you know, our run to was pretty good three weeks ago and stuff like that. Like, or our, you know, like look at our expected. WOBA, mate. Mate. Yeah, exactly. Like I, mean, they <laughs> need to start, um,
1: <laughs> yeah. That's a good yeah. run differential, yeah. isn't it? <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. That's what we have uh, one of our athletic staffers in London is going to help us out with that as part of our coverage team, and we'll have to, like, really uh, debrief him on all of these, you know, kind of obscure underlying things. But, but but wait, the teams, how many games under? Like, they have a losing record? No, but you got to see, like, what they're expecting. Well, yeah, That's yeah. not what we do in baseball. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think, you know, David Ross has been problem solving. Uh, the coaching staff has been trying to fix this. Uh, certainly Jed Hoyer's front office has been pushing buttons and pulling levers. And I think, you know, they do have a stretch here where it's time to find out what you really have. And if certain pieces aren't working, then you swap them out. Uh, whether it's some of these uh, younger guys. uh in AAA, a the palencia's and, and the hoyers down there um and also kind of riding uh i don't know if you'd say the hot hand but like you know morel clearly was not a guy that they wanted on their opening day roster or in their lineup you know there was a lot of oh you know this guy um you know defensively we have questions offensively we have questions and those are like reasonable but you know as paul sullivan wrote in the tribune the other day like it does kind of call into question like how well do the Cubs know their personnel or their kind of certain uh, traits that they lean towards or like, you know, the, co- the compromises they're willing to make on, on the roster. Uh, I think you have to give in, in certain areas and certainly Chris Herb for Murrell, uh is exactly that type of player uh, as opposed to some of the, other placeholders or pieces that they moved around earlier in the year, kind of hoping to hold on to depth or, you know, claiming or citing clubhouse influence. Like you got to kind of go with you what you got right now and see what you have and see if that's enough to stave off a sell-off at the trade deadline.
1: Yeah. I think um, maybe I'll just say one thing on Morrell, and then we'll turn back to the series a little bit. I I thought, how you wrote about this topic, Mooney was really good. And I, I agree. I also saw that point that Paul Sullivan made. And I thought that was fair that on the one hand, it's completely reasonable and probably correct for Jed Hoyer to say, you know, that it is not reasonable to say, look, Morel did all of this at AAA in the first month and you guys lost these close games. And so if he had been up, you'd, you'd have won more games. And it's like, well, several problems with that. You don't know that the games actually would have played out that way. You don't know that he would have hit that way in the big leagues. And worst of all, you don't know that he actually would have been set up to be succeeding like he is now. Can't know, right? That's that's fair. That's just correct. That's butterfly wings shit. That's real. But at the same time, you're, you almost can't defer to that because you're supposed to know your guys. You're supposed to know your own players better than anyone else. And so it's almost like your answer should be, you know, Uh, When you ask that question, should we have had him up earlier? Cause maybe you would have won more games. The answer is no, we knew what he needed in that first month. He needed to, you know, he had changed his hands pre-set up. His swing is slightly different. He's elevating more. He needed definitively to get in a rhythm at triple a before he could come up and play every way. And Jed sort of got close to saying that, but not quite. And I think it just reminded me of this topic a lot that we talk about how some, you know, when you are evaluating an organization in terms of its scouting and player development and trade and promotion decisions, all of these things, we usually look external. We're like, how did they do in this trade? You know, they got Peter Armstrong. That's great, great move. Great deal. Um, but how good are you at knowing your own players and the best organization? Look at what the Rays are doing right now. It's like... The best organizations know what they have and they move very quickly to put those guys into positions to succeed. And so it, it also got me thinking about the bullpen and how this year, unlike years past, you know, it's just sort of taking a little bit longer for, for those things to sort out. And this, this is not me being, you know, overly harsh or critical of where things are. Just that topic of knowing your own players, it, it, it felt, it just kept coming back to me this week a little bit
2: yeah I will I mean I agree you you have to you have to self-evaluate knowing what you have in your system on your team is is really important not only so you have the right players up at the highest level but also so you put them in the right positions to succeed I will say that that Christopher Morrell is one of those types of players that's really hard to know what you're going to get when I mean he was really bad in the second half last year right I mean I think Jed said it but it was like it was like a 260 something OBP not batting average right on base percentage of like 260 something with a strikeout rate above 40 percent I mean that's that's rough that's that's you want to see that he's made the corrections but uh, I mean I can understand that but you should also be able to see what he is in spring training right you should be able if if you really believe in what you're doing and and the corrections he's made but maybe they just needed to see it to believe it let's see it in triple a let's see it let's see what how it looks in game action and and they did right and and he i mean he he proved that he doesn't there's no point in him taking many more swings at triple a as much as his defense needs work and and he needs to find a defensive home going for going forward uh it, it's clear that there's very like he's still developing offensively which is scary to think the way he's played the past you know two weeks but uh, he he clearly can impact the team on offense I, I i think it's it's uh important to have that type of bat for this team uh because if you're looking at Uh, I just talked about how the offense is kind of surprised if you're looking at like well how do they get better what's the what's the difference maker and it's a guy that can change the game with one swing like he can Uh, someone that can you know put it over the the fence consistently they don't I mean you'd like to think Sayek is is turning into that guy Um, Hap just isn't that guy anymore Uh, doesn't appear to be Hap puts up a great at bat and can line the ball all over the field but you know i think maybe 20 home runs is kind of what he is now uh which is fine i mean that's he's a really good player uh so so continuing to find power and slug is, is something that this team needs to do so christopher morell and matt mervis just have to be here uh unless unless there's a big move coming come july uh those those they're going to really need power from those bats
3: the question's that we're asking as media members or fans are asking at home while they're sitting on the couch, or like exactly what Cubs people are talking about behind closed doors. I mean, Sahadev knows this, like, um, wondering, like, why is Eric Hosmer hitting sixth? Or, you know, Jesse Rogers asked the question to Jed Hory the other day about, you know, whether or not uh they should have started with morale and open Day like those that's exactly what Cubs people wonder about. the Cubs are not just like one kind of thought process there's lots of different groups with you know kind of different priorities or agendas and they're all trying to make it work so there's not just like one simple solution or like a plug and play uh operation here like there are real decisions that have to be made uh all the time and The Cubs just have to string together a lot of the right ones like right now to get this season turned around.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right.
1: And when you have accumulated maybe more depth and more talent than, you know, sort of a baseline of talent than in recent years, the decisions get harder. And so, and we have some grace for that. And it's not, that's why I said, it's not like any of this is a scalding critique of, of not knowing your own players. It's more of just a a reiteration that like, Hey, having the, the depth and lots more talent is great. Uh, but there are only so many at bats and there's only so many pitches that can be thrown. So you got to make sure the right guys are in the right spots to do that. Speaking of which, uh, the big news of the week. Uh, so Cubs, Cubs beat the Mets in two games, get some really nice starts from Drew Smiley and Marcus Stroman and, uh, starting tonight's game on Thursday is not going to be Jamison Tyone, he's pushed back to Saturday it's that Kyle Hendricks is coming back uh, now after he last pitched the first week of July last year um, noticeably had struggled for a year and a half in the run up to that. Velocity was, was dipping further his command was not nearly what we were used to seeing so he was walking a little more striking out a little less and giving up lots and lots of really hard contact and once it came out after that he had a a capsular tear in his shoulder I mean that's an injury for a guy in his 30s that that sometimes you can't really come back from uh I think the good news was that the Cubs and Hendricks were able to attack it non-surgically rehab him from a physical strength perspective and rework his mechanics in a way that they have kind of talked about as um putting him in a better position, not only to succeed going forward, but to stay healthy going forward and just kind of give him a real chance. You know, it's, it's almost like a, a second life at, at this game. And I am trying very hard to temper folks expectations for what Hendricks can or will be. Um, I think, you know, some of the video we've gotten from Iowa has looked pretty good. You know, you can see he's got the shorter arm stroke and, um, pitches look good, he seems healthy, all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, he is 33. He is coming off a major gap in playing time. It was a shoulder injury, and he is not a high velocity guy. So it's, he already, you know, we've talked about his margin for error was already very small, just by by the very nature of his style of pitching. And so, if he can come back and be a capable back of the rotation arm and veteran presence and a good sounding board for the young pitchers, all, all that kind of stuff, that's a success. That's a huge success to get him back to that level. And if he's more than that, well, great. Well, I'll be, I will be gleeful and, um, you know, you'll hear it in future installments of the podcast. But for now um, I'm just stoked as a fan to see him back. Cause there is a little bit of that nostalgia factor for me. Um, and also because he still is not a, a part of the quality starting pitching depth that the Cubs have. You know, we talked for a while about, you know, you know, they've got Adrian Sampson and they've got Javier Assad and they've got Hayden Wisneski And then, then Hendricks is going to come back and ah, how are they going to, and of course these things work themselves out. We say that every year, like there's just, if you just wait, it probably sorts itself out. And, Lo and behold, Adrian Sampson knee surgery. Javier Assad kind of bouncing between starting and relieving. Hayden Wisneski some some good stuff that we've seen, but also clearly some things he needs to work on in Iowa. And boom, Kyle is ready to return, and the Cubs have an opening in the rotation, and it all sorts itself out. And um, whether he sticks in that spot or not, and whether Wisneski emerges to to come back, or whether Ben Brown is a guy they want to give a look, doesn't really matter because that's again that'll take care of itself later on. For now. You just want more quality depth and you want to see a guy back that you can really root for, especially after missing almost a year.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good perspective. I mean, he yeah, he threw 90 something 90.2 the the other day, I believe. So so that's I mean, that's a really good sign. Right. But this is you, you just, See, I didn't even want to say it out yeah. loud
1: because then then when he throws tonight and he's throwing, you know, 87, 88, which is perfectly fine fine. yeah he was 85 86 the
2: year before I don't want people to be like what I heard he was at 90. (laughs) Uh, So he's I mean he's always just been a hard guy to scout right he's the type of guy that when he was carving up the minors when he first came up that like so few people thought he would still be effective in the big leagues that's just how it is with that type of stuff it's really hard like you said the margin of error is razor thin because if his command's a little bit off uh, with any of his stuff, uh, I mean, it can be really messy. And then there's the luck factor, too. He's not going to miss a lot of bats, so the ball in play is going to bite him at times. So there, even when he was at his best, there were games where it was just like, oh, man, everything's finding a hole. And, and you know, every, everyone's going to lose their mind when when he gives up six base hits in an inning or whatever. And, and it's, you know, 4 nothing early. Uh, so yeah, he's, I mean, I think there is, it's good to see, it's, it's going to be good to see him back on the mound. It's, it matters in the sense that this is the guy that started game seven of the world series for this team. Uh, he's the last remaining, uh, player from that team on the roster. Uh, all those things, I think Cubs fans should make sure to appreciate. I don't know what we're going to get from him. I you know it'd be great if he's productive if he's really effective can give them five quality innings, uh. It's just so hard to evaluate a guy like that at AAA. All you can say is make sure you're healthy. Uh, the stuff is kind of close to where it what once was. Uh, have some modicum of command, uh, but like the command looked like it was there. You just don't know. You just don't know with a guy like him. Even one good start, it could it. it we we won't know right uh it, I always felt like it was uh start to start with him even when he was at his best like when is this going to kind of fall apart obviously 2016 gave us a lot of com- or yeah 2016 was when he finished third in Cy Young. uh gave us a lot of confidence in what he could do and and then he he kind of uh he he had a few years where where there were like you know two or three month stretches where he was just he looked exactly like that guy and of course 2020 was the last time we saw him like that guy I mean he was he was so good that season uh as close to 2016 as you can get so it it's uh it, I'd like to see some vintage Kyle Hendricks starts just to so he could go out, uh, uh, you know, whether this is going out or whatever you want to call it. So our lasting memory isn't that, you know, the the last couple of years that we saw him where he just wasn't close to the pitcher he once was. You'd like to uh, they're they're so often that we think a guy is done and then they're able to put together a year or two where they have where they look similar to who they were or at least can be effective, you know. Adam Wainwright isn't a great example presently, but I would say last year he was kind of that example. I want to say John Lester's end of his career was better. Am I remembering that right? Or did he get like wasn't his last season away from the like his not with Cardinals? The Cubs, legend, playing, his John last Lester. Season, he, he was won good. his two hundredth game there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's got the red yeah. jacket and everything. And even like a guy like. And even like a guy like Jose Quintana, put it like a, when we thought he was pretty much done, he he came back and and had a few good seasons too. Uh, so let, let's let's just hope for the best with Hendricks. But I'm, I'm I just don't know what to expect. I have no clue with a guy like that.
3: Totally agree, Saharev. No one knows, uh, but I have over time, uh, repeatedly uh, learned that Kyle Hendricks constantly defies expectations. I mean, we've all covered this for a long time, going back to the Ryan Dempster trade when he was the other prospect, when he uh, filled into the rotation uh, after Samarja and Hamill were traded to Oakland in the middle of the 2014 season. Even kind of around that 2015 time, I was like, oh, maybe he could be, like, a fifth starter on an okay team, but not, like, on a championship-caliber team and just – I think we have all learned the more you follow this stuff, that like the uh, individual personality matters a lot. And that doesn't mean that Kyle Hendricks can like outthink everyone again and will himself to being a frontline starter again. But as an industry, we spend a lot of time dreaming about, you know, prospects we've never even seen before uh in like myrtle beach and like oh man how great could this be or like every time the cubs pick up some dude off the scrap keep of like oh wait till we get him in the pitch lab let's see what they could you know work their magic on him this guy's done it at the absolute highest level at the game for a really long time and is uh probably the most consistent even keel person you'll ever meet one of the smartest but most humble people you'll ever encounter and also someone who's extremely athletic and has really unique stuff um that i think at times maybe he hasn't gotten credit for so uh it will be a great uh show at wrigley tonight just to see uh what he has left i don't either way i don't know how determinative it will be but um it'll be fun to you know just see where this leads because uh you're talking about one of the most consequential players in franchise history i think
1: whether it looks great whether it looks bad whether it's somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. i don't think we're gonna know you know capital k know anything after just tonight's start and so i think all of that tracks like let's just enjoy the moment which it, this isn't a nostalgia tour it, it really isn't this is a this is a guy the cubs are hoping can can contribute um and mooney's right if he if this were a guy from another organization that the cubs had gotten a hold of it'd be like well <laughs> yeah. you know he used to be really good and he's guys healthy now and look he would reworked his mechanics and i mean we we would absolutely be doing that dance so i look forward to it in that respect um fun fact if if i'm not mistaken i'll be corrected if i am but when Hendricks takes the mound tonight there will nevertheless still be more players on the other side of the diamond from the 2016 world series uh who were members of the indians at the time lindor and carrasco right we're both uh part of that team and Hendricks is the only one remaining on the cubs unless you count david ross so that is funny that even as the cubs are playing the Mets, only seven years later, there's still more on the other team than than with the Cubs. That's how much turnover there has been. So that's what we'll be watching tonight as the Cubs wrap up their series against the Mets, and then they welcome the Reds for three, and we all know what we'll be watching this weekend, the Succession Series finale. I mean, yeah, I'll look at Cubs-Reds yes. a little
2: Cousin bit Greg was a Wrigley, the disgusting brothers. He
1: was at this, I mean, I know, I know that not everyone watches Succession but that was too funny the timing that one of one of the lead actors in the show was at the Cubs game last night and of course this series is ending this weekend so I hope that's a good sign and not some it was funny dark they, sense they, of they put his real name we'll see what,
3: on the board and like we're all on the press box like is that cousin Greg and then you had to like wikipedia you know okay okay that's that's actually it. yeah
1: <laughs> um, so we'll see we'll see what happens to Cousin Greg this weekend may perhaps be a a, a premonition for whatever <laughs> yeah, is going to happen to the Cubs the rest of the way this is on to Waveland it's the Cubs slash succession podcast here at the Athletic I'm Brett Taylor you can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation that's the Hattie Sharma and Patrick Rooney. get theirs at the Athletic we appreciate you listening always drop posts, news, comments ratings to friends